to use as a subject, purposeful deliver, purposely delivered so that our deliverance is intentional. As told in the story, you may be seated. As told the story of the young man who had a spirit, an evil spirit within him. I believe this day we live, this is the beginning of the year, it's good to tell it, that we live in a crazy mixed up world. If you haven't noticed it, I'm, I want you to pay attention to what's happening around you and what's happening in so many places that this is a crazy mixed up word, world rather. But at the same time, we have this passion. We have burning within our hearts this passion to do something more than what we're currently doing. And when that passion is not rightly directed, then we find people engaged in activities that is unbecoming, and I would venture to say moving in the direction of insanity. So we're going to talk about that. What happens when our passions aren't guided by the Holy Spirit? When we're at a place when we have all this potential, but yet we don't know what to do with it. There's a longing within each soul. Our souls are longing for more. But the thing is that we can't identify what that more really is. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 40, this is uh, something that was said uh, Jesus Christ, well, the disciples said it, but Jesus Christ referenced it many times. He says in verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, he says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. When he talks about a generation being perverse. He's saying that these are times when perverseness has become the norm. It has become the norm. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. And then he followed up by saying, this is what was written or recorded as a narrative. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added. So we talk about growth. We talk about making an impact upon this generation. First of all, there has to be a deliverance that has, that's a deliverance that has to come forth. There's a deliverance that's necessary. And the problem is that most folk don't realize how necessary that deliverance really is. Now, let's go look at a little bit about this young man as we look into his life. It says, uh, the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son, relational. He said, this is my son. He wasn't a stranger. He says, I brought to you my son. And he says, teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit. Now, look at this spirit here. He couldn't talk. It was a spirit that had arrested his ability to communicate. Uh, and I think communication is very key in this day and hour is because there are many who, even though you can talk, but can you communicate what ought to be communicated? That's really a question. Are we saying what need to be said in this time? Uh, one thing, we, we call it talking heads, people that say a whole lot, or they t speak a lot but saying nothing. Because the person is very verbal, it doesn't mean that he or she has a message, in fact, to deliver. 
he says that this spirit had seized him and it threw him down. I'm going to talk about that later on, about the activities that's taking place. Because one of the things I've learned in Scripture is that when you read Scripture, there's always a message within the message because the Lord doesn't do anything without having some motive behind it that's much greater than the act itself. The Lord is speaking through this experience, and he says, now, look at what happened to this man or this child foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth and becoming rigid or stiff. He says, but my disciples, your disciples couldn't do anything with it. (laughs) We brought him to your disciples. We uh, Put it this way, we brought him to church. We brought this young man or this child to church, but he found no deliverance there. Now, we could ask the question, why couldn't he be delivered in the place where deliverance ought to take place? But he could find no deliverance there. And then the Lord, or, or the, uh, the Lord spoke in such a way that he spoke to the whole generation. Now, understand, he's dealing with an individual But then he speaks to the entire generation. He says, it's not just you. It's not just a few of us. But this is what's happened to the whole generation. He said, uh, oh, faithless generation. Now, look at how God does. He deals with us as persons, as people, but he also deals with us corporately, collectively. Do you realize the Lord is concerned about what's happening in the world, but he's concerned about what's happening in this church, within the church, within the body of Christ, but also what's happening within this church, this church. This church where it's geographically located, but let's make it even more personal. He's concerned about what's happening in your families, your families. Then he's concerned about, at the same time, what's happening within you personally. So look at what he does. He goes from the large to the small, but yet we see the Lord's concern as it relates to persons, it relates to personalities, it relates to groups, and all of that. And then he says, the Lord says, as he speaks generationally, generally speaking, he says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? He speaks to the generation, then he speaks specifically to uh, the situation to, to, to this disciple. He said, how long shall I be with you? He said, bring him to me. Then they brought him, and when they saw him, immediately the spirit began to convulse, uh, the spirit convulsed him. When they came in the presence of the Lord, the Spirit began to act up because of presence. How long has this been happening from his childhood? Uh, Let me just go on because I want to get to this part about the fire later on, but let's look at what he was doing here. We see the generation he spoke to, and then it says here in Acts chapter 2 verse 40, and we go to 41, he says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. He says, that very day that the word was received, we begin to see 3,000 souls added to the church. So, the Lord, the Lord still does have the power and the will and the desire for the church to grow, but it's not just to grow numerically. You know, some people think it's success when you see a whole lot of people coming, but the Lord is saying, I want, he said, the Lord added to the church. Now, do you see something here? Do you see? Did you hear something? The Lord added to the church. The Lord added to the church. Uh, And and when the Lord adds 3,000 souls, when the Lord adds to the church, then there's a connection that occurs that's much greater and deeper 
that people that would be uh, lightly joined together because they desire or they like something that's going on in a particular place. So the Lord said, that's what he was saying, oh, perverse generation. Uh, that's what Peter was saying, but he was really repeating what Jesus Christ had said even beforehand because we see in Luke chapter 17 and 25. But first he must, it says, first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Did you hear something now? He said he will be rejected by this generation. First he says, oh, perverse, wicked generation. Why is the generation perverse and wicked? Is because the generation had rejected Christ. He rejected Christ. When Christ is rejected, when Christ is ignored, when Christ is not seen as he really is, then there's no question that the generation becomes wicked and perverse. And then he goes on to say, as it was in the days of Noah, it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. He said people would be about doing what they normally do. He said it would be business as usual. I'm hitting somewhere in this, but I want you to see as we build into uh, some of the main subjects here, main points here. He says, he says, it will be people will be about doing their daily business. Whatever you were doing when the Lord, when the Son of Man comes, you will be doing just that. Some people think you'd have this last-minute rush and get everything straightened out so that you're where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do. No, what you're doing now. If you don't change, you will be doing the very same thing when the Lord returns. So we talk about this year, we're talking about what God is requiring. Now, now as we look at it, and, and what is uh, our responsibility, my responsibility as a minister, and I realize it all the more, we talk about fulfilling uh, the purpose uh, that, that God would want me to share with you certain things so that you're aware of what is really happening, what's going on beyond what you could possibly uh, uh, see, what you could possibly see with your own eyes. Let's have spiritual insight. So, what's happening? But, but not only what's happening, but answer the questions as to why these things are happening the way they're happening. We want to give a critical analysis of the problem. These things are happening in our day. He says it's a wicked and perverse generation, but why is it wicked? Why is this a perverse generation? What has occurred so that now we live in such a state of existence that these kinds of things are taken and normalized. They're considered the order of the day. It all goes back to the fall. The fall. It is a result of the fall. You, you say, what happened when man, when Adam ate of the forbidden, and Eve, well, Eve and Adam both ate of the forbidden, it did not destroy man's ability to think Man was still a thinker, as you are. He is a thinker. But, what it is, but it damaged his ability to reason. Now, you see the difference? He could still think, but his reasoning was damaged because now he's not able to reason as he ought to reason. In other words, to understand why things happened and what would be the consequences of actions taken at any given point. Because understand what happens when you don't take into account the, the, the result of any kind of activity, then that you become irrational to some degree. In fact, you are irrational. 
And, and, and understand, it, 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 leans, it tends to lead towards insanity because you're living for today, not considering the consequences that you must face on tomorrow. So understand, when we talk about affecting man's ability to reason, he's not able to prioritize his life and matters that are of utmost importance. The things that matter don't matter as they ought to matter. Things that matter most. There are some things that matter. There are things that must matter most. We talk about our, our purpose, uh, uh, the things that matter most. And then, here's another thing, and then there are some things that do not matter at all. There are some things that matter. But yet, you see, when your priorities are off, when your reasoning is not as it ought to be, then you don't know which to pay most, uh, to give your utmost attention to, the things that you ought to uh, give your attention to. So understand what the enemy does, the enemy brings a person because you still have potential, but yet you must uh, discover purpose. Understand proper use. How does these things supposed to measure out? How are you supposed to function with all the potential? Because you think about it, I'm, I'm thinking about even Lucifer. Lucifer was the anointed cherub. He stood before the Lord. He was the light of God would shine through him. And understand, the Bible talks about all of the pipes and lure, all the stuff he had in him. So he was the worship leader. He, he was the covering cherub and all the stuff that he had. Let me tell you something. When, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, you see, all of what Lucifer possessed was not taken away from him. He changed locations. <laughs> he changed locations. He came to the earth, but yet there were many things that he possessed that he still possessed. But now, understand this, now that he is upon the earth, understand what happens. Yeah, he lost his glory. He lost the fact that he was no longer aligned with the will of God. But when we talk about that, that, that potential to, to, to shine, that potential, that's why he calls Satan the angel of light. He presents himself as, as if the light is still there, but yet his influence is still there, so much so that he, in, he influenced a third of the heaven to follow him in his fall. So, so, so understand what happens. We talk about these passions. The, the admonalities in our day have become classic, and, and, and it tends to lead towards cultural, uh, culturalized corruption. Because when we talk about, he says, what shall I do with this onward generation or this, this generation that has given over to these kinds of things, he says, it has cultural, it's culturalized. It's a part of our culture. You, you see, let me help you with this. You can't look at a political party and say, okay, we found it now because I'm a Democrat. Or I found it now, I'm a Republican. Let me tell you something. The system, the system itself is corrupted. Did you hear what I said? I'm not saying that we are to divorce ourselves and not participate. We are to live where? In the world, but not be what? Of the world. So in other words, you have to be very careful that we don't buy into the systems of the world so that the systems begin to fashion us and, and shape us after its own mold. But, but the tragedy of it all is that those systems have had an influence, a great influence upon the church, a great influence upon the church. So, so now we begin to see this corruption oftentimes instead of being so 
uh, uh, overt. Now, it is camouflaged or hidden within our daily practices. You've even noticed it. It's just a part of everyday life, our day-to-day living. But now when we look at all of this, this corruption, we begin to see it. Uh, it, it begins within the heart. It's internal before it becomes external. You see, the enemy's objective and the world's objective is to win your heart over, is to get you to a place where you begin to give your heart to a particular thing. Now, now, I was thinking about what conversion really is. I've been doing a lot of study on conversion, what conversion really is. We understand the initial act of conversion is when you were saved, you were lost in sin, and then the Lord found you. Do you hear what I say now? The Lord found you. The Lord found you in the midst of your sin, and He drew you to Himself, and now you're no longer a sinner, but now you're a saint. But that's the initial act of conversion. But as I study conversion, I understand that conversion leads to many conversions. You see, when you convert it, that conversion must lead to many conversions. In other words, a change, a change. So we are changed to be changed. We are saved to be saved. Are you following me now? Are you tracking? We are saved to be saved. So the Lord does not end there, but we are positioned and postured to receive what God has to offer. We've not gotten it all yet, but we're positioned to receive more of what God has to offer. There are things that accompany salvation. There are things that God desired to give to you that will be an accompaniment, a supplement to what has already taken place. So understand that, that, that we're saved. We talk about saved. Conversion, I look at it as a convergence of, of, of here I am, but now my will is, is absorbed or submitted into His will. But at the same time, I still have a will. I still have a will. He did not destroy me from having a will. He did not destroy my ability to reason. But understand now, he he has taken me into a different level of reasoning. You see, now my, my will is to do his will. He lifts my will to a higher plane. So, so this is that convergence that takes place. So, uh, look at it this way. We, we are, in fact, giving ourselves over to Him. That's what happens when we're saved. So in other words, you're no longer your own. You don't belong to yourself any longer, but you've been purchased with a price. So all the things that you would do, it's not just up to you now to do whatever you feel you want to do or need to do or would like to do because you've been purchased with a price. You belong to Him now. So everything that you do in life must be measured by the one that you're submitted to. Everything in life must be submitted to that. So now, when you're given over, but as I study conversion, there's another kind of conversion too. That's another kind of conversion. Let's say when a person has been awakened to the reality that there is something missing in his or her life, when you are awakened to that reality, it points you in the direction that there must be something more than what you, at this particular point in your life, has attained. Do you see that? that, that that's awakening. Now, now, that awakening doesn't always, it doesn't take place merely with those that are seekers to know the Lord. But understand, you get to the place, you say, look, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living the way I live. I'm tired of doing the things I'm doing. I'm tired of being the person that I am. 
And then you say, so I want to see some changes occur within my life. So then that change is a, it's a deep change. Either you give like it was with the, the child, it happens to many, you can give yourself over to a philosophy, you can give yourself over to, so to ideologies, you can give yourself over to systems of thinking, systems of thought, but understand this, but when you give yourself over to whatever it is, understand you're not the same person that you once were before you surrendered your life to whatever you believed in or whatever you thought to be the thing that would help you get out of the situation that you're in. So when you give yourself over to it, that's a conversion. So now that conversion becomes a buffer so that any other information must be filtered through the lenses or, or, or filtered through whatever conversion has taken place within you. There are some people that's converted to rejecting the gospel. <laughs> They're converted to, 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 to fighting off whatever, whatever influence the gospel may have upon their lives because they've dug deep within what they believe and they are now settled in their thinking that this is what I, this is my truth, and this is far as it goes. But now, I begin to look at that particular scripture, and I begin to think about those, because we come here to be delivered, those that have heard the word, those that have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, those that have embraced their purpose to a degree, and now they're at a place where conversion has occurred within his life or her life. You've been converted. You've been converted. You're at a place where you, and, and I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I'm not talking about just spirit uh, born again. I'm not talking about just being born again. I'm talking about converting your thinking. Because born again, you have a new nature, you have a new, you see everything. But, but, but understand this, your conversion, that part of conversion that takes place when you say, well, I'm no longer thinking the way I should think. I've been convinced otherwise and all of that. But then conversion occurs is when uh, you, you do get to the place, you receive the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of, Spirit of God, and now everything is filtered through Him. But the Bible says this here, and I would say, I'm using conversion now as a deliverance. You've been delivered from a particular thing. You've been, whatever was in you now has been purged out of you. Are you following me now? Whatever was in you has been purged out. In other words, you're clean. You're clean. You, you, you were in a situation where you couldn't do for yourself, but all of a sudden you were brought out of that situation into a new situation here. I'm not, see, that now Jesus dealt with that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, 43 rather. He says, he says, the young man, the child had an unclean spirit. The child had an unclean spirit. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. So when a spirit, when a person has in fact been delivered from an unclean spirit, that spirit does not, it, 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 it does not vanish away. That spirit is not destroyed. Are you following me? That spirit is going about trying to find another place that it can possess. So it says what it does 
It goes through dry places. It's going through dry places seeking rest. It's going through dry places seeking rest and finds none. It's trying to find a place of rest, a place that's not wet, a place that is dry. He said, then he says, he says, since I can't find a place to rest, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back where I came from. I'm going to go back where I came from. I'm going to, re- and here's what he calls it. He calls it his house. I will go back to my house. I return to my house from which, from which I came. Because he is really saying, he's really saying he is taking ownership of the individual that had been delivered, had been delivered. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't run with those that do. Thank God I've been delivered from smoking. Thank God I've been delivered from alcohol. Thank God I've been delivered from drugs. Thank God I've been delivered from sexual uh, promiscuity. You see, and that person feels that that's the depth of his conversion because he no longer does the things that he once did. It is a degree of conversion that took place as a result of you being set free from a particular thing. But that conversion has to go deeper than just not doing the things that you once did. God is wanting to bring you to a place where you convert it into becoming the person that he intends you to become. There are a lot of people that's half-heartedly, they're half-hearted, they're, they're converted halfway. And the Lord is saying, I want you to be completely converted. You say, well, I spend most of my time, I go to church now. I pay my time. No, there's a, there's a conversion that's much deeper than that. He says, so now he's looking for a place. When he finds out, he go back. He said, I still have ownership of that house. I still have you. You're still mine, even though you're not drinking, even though you're not smoking, even though you're not cursing. Your language has changed. You're not cursing like you used to curse. He said, but you're still mine. You're still mine. I can still tell you what to do. I can still move you in the direction I desire to move you. You see, you still, you see, you're still mine. You, you, you see, the Bible says you're not your own. You purchased at the price. But when you belong to the enemy, but you've not surrendered your all to the Lord, you see, he still claims ownership of your life. He still claims ownership. And, and this is important to understand this as people that go to church, as, as believers, as those that have been spiritually awakened, that God wants to take you further into his, his grace and his will and his line of thinking. So he says, he says, so now... What he does, he sees when he comes back, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Your life is well-ordered. Your private world has been well-ordered. You're at a place where now your disciplines are in place. Your disciplines are intact. He says, so I realize now that I can't handle you by myself. Because now you've learned how to fight. You've learned how to ward off, ward me off, the one, the one, that one habit that one situation, that one thing that you were at one time wrestling with, you know how to handle that. He said, so what I'll do, he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Now, what he is saying, that you deliver one habit, but now seven more habits develop. Seven more challenges rise up within your life. Now you're fighting one demon, now you're fighting seven demons. And you say, now you're conceited. Now you're spiritual, you're filled with spiritual pride 
arrogance. You see, because when a person has not surrendered his or her life to the Lord, even when they exercise or engage in levels of spirituality, you see, it is perverted uh, form of spirituality. It is not the pure uh, and holy and chaste uh, form that God would have us to engage in. So, I'm talking about religious perversion. We talk about spiritual perversion now. Uh, we see the conversion, but now we talk about the perversion of that which was once spiritual. So, he comes in, enters in, and he dwells there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. He said he worse off than if he had never gotten converted to begin with. He's worse off than if he had never gotten saved, if he had never heard the Word of God, because now he learned how to use it in such a way to be to his own advantage. He manipulates individuals by misusing and misinterpreting that which God would want to use in a particular way, in, in the right way. He takes them in. He said, Worst, so shall it also be, here it is, with this wicked generation with this wicked generation. Now we understand the perverseness and we understand how people that are religious or supposedly spiritual can become more wicked than those that uh, are determined to be wicked or is known that they're wicked. In fact, the Bible, Jesus began to say, I would rather, in Revelation, I'd rather you be, see, you're neither hot nor cold. He said, I would that you be either hot or cold. I would, you, I would you live what you say you represent. I would you take a stand and, and your life supports what you represent. He said, but you're neither hot nor cold. He said, you make me, you, you, you make me sick. He said, the Lord says, he said, I spew you out of my mouth. So understand what happens. Uh, see, the person is not insightful enough to recognize how the things, like I said, affect the other things. So, therefore, he, the Bible calls it a person. Here's how he put it. Here's how the Scripture puts it in Jeremiah 6, 14. He said, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly. They have healed the hurt of my people slightly. They did not get full deliverance. You, I hope you hear my heart because my objective in ministering to you is to help you to at least ascribe for full the, the full effects of deliverance, to bring it to a place where your passion and desire is to be set free. Because we are not perfect, but we must have a perfect standard. And if you don't have a perfect standard, then what will happen, you will settle for something less than that and find justification for behavior that's not pleasing unto God. See, the first of the year now, we, we, we need to hear something like this. So he said, he said, you healed. He said, saying, peace, peace. Watch that message. Watch those messages when people always say good things. Watch the messages when they're always applauding you and, and, and stroking your flesh to make you feel as if you're more than that, more than what you really are. They're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see, all you have to deserve, look around and you see things aren't the way many people say that they are. It's getting better. Ooh, child, things are going to get, was that better, easier? Don't believe that. But prepare yourself for whatever comes our way. Get ready for 
the, the, the good times as well as the bad times, when there's no peace. And then it goes on to say, were they, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Did they feel, were their, consciousness, were their consciences seared as with a hot iron that they can say, do a thing and say something opposite and not be convicted? I always tell my story when I was, uh, when I was moving towards being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The thing that would convict me was the Bible. And I had a Bible in my house. I, I had to cover the Bible up in order to take a drink. <laughs> I said, I can't drink, and this Bible's looking at me. This Bible's staring at me, man. <laughs> Let alone the other things we do. I said, I got to cover the Bible up. I got to cover this Bible. Or, or I got to hide the Bible because, you see, because that Bible, that Bible represented something to me. That Bible, certain people represented something to me. I get around a preacher. I get around people that I believe live in righteous. I felt that they could see right through me. That's what I felt. I wore, see, some of you had that same experience. I, I said, yeah, go on, bring it. I know you want to tell me what a sinner I am and how messed up my life really is because you're singing. They said, Brother Walker, I just want to say hi to you. No, I know you. You see, there you go. There you go now. You're going to start accusing me. Of, <laughs> you see what I mean? You want, you want to put up your defenses. And the person that said, hi, brother, I just want to say hi to you. <laughs> But, but the reason that was happening is because I was convicted by being in the presence of certain individuals. Do you see that? They didn't have to say a word. All they had to do was show up. And don't, don't, don't uh, listen to Billy Graham. How many times did I, I, I just as I am, with, <laughs> without much plea, I mean, I was on my knees many a day watching television. They said, you will come, come here. His arms folded up, come. Then don't nobody see me here, so let me just let y'all know, man. Yes, I'm a preacher. I was a preacher 11 years old. I said, but I need to get right with God. That's why the Holy Spirit is so precious to me. When I received the baptism, that's when my life was totally transformed. So, so, so now, he said they, they, they felt nothing. They weren't ashamed of their, were they not ashamed of abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. They didn't know how to blush. Oh, when people have lost their ability to blush, shamefacedness. It'll show your face. My, my daddy and mama used to, no, my mama in particular would say, and sisters too, they would say, uh, Junior did it. They called me Junior. Junior did it. I said, I didn't do it. They said, no, Junior did. I said, look at his eyes. <laughs> look at his eyes. My eyes are big as silver dollars. I didn't do it. I told you I didn't do it. They said, look at his eyes. He bucked his eyes. When he bucked them eyes, you could tell he's guilty. And I saw that also in my daddy. I hadn't seen him lie. <laughs> and his eyes were big as silver. Did you do it? What, where were you at? I, I, no, no, what? Yes, you did something. You had no business doing. <clears throat> so I guess I, got, I guess I inherited that, that it shows in the eyes. So they were not ashamed of blessings. Therefore, they shall fall among, they shall fall 
among those who fall. And at their time of punish and the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Now that's strong stuff. That's strong stuff. Uh, the writer of Proverbs in this particular uh, conversation was, it had to be a pedagogy, it had to be an instructor that's instructing one of his sons here in the fourth chapter of Proverbs in verse 20. It was a spiritual father or even a biological father that was in fact instructing his son. And he was instructing his son in the things of life, in the ways of life. How are we to live our lives in a way that's wholesome? But in the 20th verse of the fourth chapter of Proverbs, he says, my son, give attention to my words. Did you hear that? Give attention to my words. So, so he says, in order to convey truth to you, in order to communicate truth to you, you must pay attention to the things that I'm saying. If you cut off the things that I'm trying to convey to you, then you are ignoring the truth. You can separate yourself from it, but that doesn't take away from the fact it's still the truth. You say, I refuse to hear it. The truth is the truth whether you like it or not, whether you listen to it or not, you can walk away and say, I'll never darken the door of this church again. That truth will follow you wherever you go because the truth is truth regardless. He says, my son, give attention to my words. And then he says, since it is the truth, he says, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Be attentive to that truth because he's not going to change. He says, incline your ear to my sayings to my sayings. This is an instructor or a father speaking to a son. Pay attention to my sayings. Let's look at this. My son, my son, my son. He is saying, no one could love you more than me. No one could love you more than me. The father-son relationship. I don't care who else may be saying things, who else may be doing things. The father's love we talk about the Father's love, God's love, but then it's God's love through fathers who are godly fathers. No one could love the children more than the fathers. But the word must be received by the children. Now, that's in Malachi. We get to that in some other message. But, but understand, he'll turn the heart, the father towards children, children's heart towards the father. But understand, he says, listen to my words. Pay attention to my words. And then he says, incline your ear to my saying. In other words, lean in. Lean in to what I'm saying. Lean into it. Don't, don't run away from it. He, first of all, listen to it, and now uh, lean into it. You see, when, when you watch something or you hear something that is really significant, really important, what do you do? You lean in. You lean in. If a person is like this here, what do you think? What do you think about the interest? Are they really interested? Or, or if they're talking to somebody else, are they really interested? If they're doing something on their phone, are they really interested? You know, I understand taking notes, but I'm talking about if they're just playing games or engaged in some other activity, they're texting someone else, are they really interested in what's really being said? You see that? But he is saying, lean in. Lean in to what I'm saying. Lean into it. 
He said, lean into it. He said, he said, the reason, and he said, and when you get it, do not let them depart from your eyes. Now, listen, he says, he says, look at, first of all, pay attention to my words, lean into it. And he says, and when you hear it, when you receive it, don't let it depart from your eyes because now you see it. You see it. You have understanding. Wednesday's message, I talk about understanding. He says, now you have understanding of it. Now, now he goes a step further. Now you see it. Now what you are focusing your attention on will ultimately enter into your hearts. It will enter into your hearts. He says, now keep them in the midst of your heart. Now, now, now oh, you got to see this. He, he says, now, now, first of all, you pay attention, you lean into it, and then you gaze upon it, and then your heart is transformed by what you have received and what you have attained by a Father that loves you. Are you hearing this? That loves you. Who seeks God on your behalf. He says, so now, he says, because who, what they are, for they are life to those who find them. The words, the words now is something that's discovered. You would discover within those words the hidden truth, hidden mysteries of God that are there to transform you into becoming all that God would have you to become. He says, so now, you, you, they are life to those who find them. Life to those who find them. So, in other words, they must be discovered. You have to go, when you're hearing them, you want to see into the Word. You want to understand the mystery contained within it. When we talked about the, the young man, I'll cover that some other, hopefully, later on, but the young man who was mute. There's a message concerning being mute. You see, there's a message concerning him being cast from the water to the fire, from the fire to the water. There's a message contained within this. But if you don't pay attention, if you don't pay close attention to what is in fact being said, you'll miss many of the, I would say, those, those nuggets, those hidden nuggets that's contained within it. There's some that will grasp hold, and they say, man, that's why you get a crowd. You say, some people say, man, that was a life-changing message. Other folks say, I didn't get anything out of it. It all has to do with, how did you receive it? My son, my son, my, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. A stranger, they'll not follow. So when you hear the word of the Lord, and you know it to be the word of the Lord, lean into it. Lean into it. And then get, then then focus upon it, he says, and let it, let it enter into your heart because it's going to purge your heart of all of that information that's contrary to the word and will of God. God wants to purge our hearts. He wants to cleanse us from all the residue that we picked up over the years. He says, for they are life to those who find them. They are life to those who find them. Life to those who discover. In other words, I, I want to talk about this life thing after a while. The life to those that find them. But not only that, it'll keep you alive. They're health to all your flesh, to all their flesh. It will preserve you. Keep them, keep your heart with all diligence. Here it comes now. For out of that heart, now we got to the heart. We got to the core of your being. We got to the center of your being. He says, because out of your heart will spring forth the 
issues of life. Now we're dealing with life issues. I was going to call that life issues, this message. This is where I was going to start. But we're dealing with life issues now. We're dealing with issues of life, issues of life. What kind of issues are we dealing with? Things that enter into the heart and things which flow forth from the heart. Because the, the things that enter into the heart will be the things that will flow forth from the heart. Issues, issues, issues. What we focus or pay the greatest attention or degree of attention to will be the things that will flow forth from our hearts, the things that our hearts will be committed to, we give our hearts to or surrender our hearts to because these are things that we've given our primary attention to. And then we make what's called life-determining decisions based upon the things that have entered into our hearts and the things that actually flow forth from the heart. Life-determining decisions. Now, let me help you understand something of this. We talk about issues of life. Issues. Life is full of issues, right? There are a lot of issues. There are a whole lot of issues. Look at what's happening. How many issues do you have in life? How many life issues are you facing and confronted with right now? And when you talk about life issues, it's really saying what your life issues and how you handle life's issues is how you stand, is what you stand for, is what you stand for. You can tell the integrity of an individual based upon how he handles life's issues. Are you understand? Your integrity now is in check. Your integrity is, in, uh, is now called the question, how do you handle life's issues? How do you handle life's issues? You're going to have some issues, but how do you handle them? When you face a challenge, when you face a situation that I would say is a challenge to you, what decision will you make when you face that particular challenge? What course of action will you take when you're facing life's issues? It's important. But out of the abundance of the heart, life issues are addressed. You address life issues based upon whatever you have given your heart to. Are you still with me? Whatever you've given your heart to, whatever you have yielded your heart to, that's what you will use when you face life issues. If you have nothing of substance within you, then those life issues will control you. You don't have any power to deal with life's issues. Why? Because what happens, you've given yourself over to stuff that really didn't matter. It's you see, if all you do is play 
play, play what's, I'm way back, Nintendo, what, what's the game? Whatever you play, you, you play games all day long. You watch television all day long. You want to look at your soaps. You want to look at this thing, that thing, and the other. And then uh, you, as far as getting before God and, and, and pressing into Him or hearing the Word of God, football, is, is, uh, the, the, the Falcons are playing and, and losing, but, <laughs> but, 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 but whatever it is. But, but look here, if you place those things ahead of God, then that's all you have to call upon when you're facing life's greatest challenges. These are issues that must be addressed, but they cannot be rightly addressed unless you have some content, some substance within you in order to be able to address them. That's why, you see, man shall not live by bread alone. He did say you don't live by bread, but bread must be put in its proper context. Jesus, Jesus, see everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, he began to bring context to it. Now, now why would he bring bread up? Why did he bring bread up? He said, man shouldn't live by bread alone. Why would he bring bread up? Because he was really helping you to understand, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Yeah, he began to say, somebody gave him some food because he said, how food you have known that you don't have any knowledge of. He said, who fed him? Who fed him? He said, no, you understand. He said, he said your life cannot be of such that it is sustained only by what you place inside of you that you consume. He said, but it must be Live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When God is speaking, you see, then he is, he is, I would say, he is imparting truth to you so that you can deal with life's issues. And you can call upon it. You see, my word is not just words only, but their spirit of life. So, so, so this I would say this dynamic that's taking place right here is an importation. We are imparting life to you. You say, well, well what's the difference thing? Why do I have to come to church? Why, why can't I just get a, get, get a recording of a message? Why can't I just, why can't I just deal? No, because here's what the Lord, you can get saved apart, but you cannot grow without community. We develop within the context of community. Is that making sense to you? We develop within the context of community. I need, I need you to rub me. Have a way you rub me. Not always the wrong way. Sometimes you, you may say something to me that's encouraging, a encouraging word. Or you may say something that will challenge me and say, you need to check this or straighten this thing out. But whatever that thing is that you, that you are becoming is necessary for me to become all that I am in the process of becoming. Are you hearing this? And when we come together as community, that's why they gather together one accord, one place, because God is, He is imparting to all of us so that we are further joined together as community. And then the Bible talks about how He added to that community. He added to that community those that would be saved. So, community is very significant. Community is very important. So now, we talk about life-determining decisions, what you stand for or what 
represents your life. What does your life represent? What does your life represent? Because, you see, I, 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 when I uh, do funerals, sometimes I even talk about, I said, I said, this person now has gone on to be with the Lord, and his life story is being presented to God. His whole life story is being presented to God. In other words, you stand before the bema. There's a judgment that takes place in relation to the whole of your life. He measures the sum total of our lives as to what we really stood for. You see, that's a judgment too. It's not, you, you see, it's not saying, well, I'm going to get to heaven. No, we're talking about now I'm going to heaven, but I want my works to count for something. I want my life to count for something. I don't want to just go to heaven just to get there. It's like saying, I'm going to, I'm go, I'm going to uh, Hawaii to check into the hotel, and I'm going to lock myself in until it's time to leave. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun? Because you can turn on television, and you can see the waves, and you can see the mountains, and you can see, you see, but no, you want to explore, don't you? You want to explore the, all of the beauty of the environment. Is that making sense? Not only that, suppose they give you that there are certain benefits. You say, well, okay, you, you can go to the luau. Is that right? Well, luau, you go to luau. You can, now you can participate in this. You can participate in that. And, and you are going from one place to the other to the other. You're, you're, you're engaged in activities that you had dreamt about, you've never seen happen before. You're seeing all of this, and you're a participant in all the activities taking place all around you because you have been given a permission, a ticket, uh, whatever it takes to participate. But then there may be some others that's looking out the window. Hey, boy, they have a whole lot of fun. But I'm so glad I'm saved. I made it, didn't I? I made it. I got a chance to see all of them enjoy all of that. But I made it. At least I ain't burning. <laughs> I hope you see the picture. Hope you see the picture. Let's go on because I want to get back to this. Back to this. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, we talk about issues. The whole of your life, of your life, what do you stand for? What is required of you? And what, and, 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 and so that you're able or enabled or equipped to stand. Because what God wants you to do, he said, put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against all the wiles of the devil. He wants to equip you so that you're enabled to stand. What it means, you see, now, I mentioned Wednesday, when you stand, you stand under the authority of God. There you, therefore, you, and you stand on the rock, the solid rock, as a foundation, so therefore you stand tall. And, and, and as a result of standing tall, now you're postured to gain an understanding. You could see into very uh, different matters. We mentioned life issues. Life issues, your life, your life does matter. Your life does matter. The essence of life, no man stands as an island unto himself. Now, as I get ready to close, I want to share this with you. This is what happens when we, we he said, when we get an understanding in contrast to those that lack understanding, in contrast to those who lack understanding, to them, you look foolish. 
To them, you don't make any sense. To the world, you're crazy. You're crazy to the world. You see, it's somehow uh, in, in a in a blind, that's how they said, in a blind man's world, a one-eyed man is king. I think that's how they put it. A one-eyed man is king because he's in an environment where nobody can see, but at least he can see out of one eye. In, a, in an environment where everybody is lost and doing whatever they are doing, but yet you have an understanding, I mean, they're ignorant. I'll say everybody's ignorant. But you have an understanding of arithmetic, then you're the smartest man on the island. But what good is arithmetic going to do you? But at least you know something. You've majored in a subject. Oh, I can't wait to have to develop that because understand what we're saying. Some people think because of the fact that they have a degree of knowledge that they qualify. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why? Because they are wise in their own eyes based upon the things that they currently know. Now you're seeing it. Based upon what they currently know, they become wise in their own eyes. I've learned, and, and, and I, I said this this way, when people are, let's say, when you get a, a doctorate in a particular subject, we have a lot of doctors here, a lot of doctors in this house, I'm telling you, but when you get a doctorate, a doctorate in a particular uh, uh, field of knowledge, that doesn't mean that you know everything but you become an authority within the subject matter which you focus your attention upon. You see that? Your, your focus, the area that you have majored in, you become to some degree an authority in that particular field. You see that? You become someone that people can reference and they can, still you don't know all there is to know about the subject, but you know enough. You know more than most people know about that subject. You can at least instruct people in that particular subject. Does that make sense now? He says, but now if you take him out of his or her field and you place them in another field, that person is ignorant in relation to the field of study or knowledge that he or she has not given any attention to. So uh, I always talk about, uh, I don't know if he's here, uh, Dr. Comus Haynes. Are you here? Doc, he's not here. Uh, I always talk about him. I said, I said, I'd like to sit in one of his classes. And, and, and I'm not going to take any notes because it's a waste of my time. <laughs> but, but I can just sit there and, and just say, I've been there. I, at least I've been in an environment where Dr. Comus Ames is lecturing because he's talking about stuff I have no clue. That's what he's talking about. But, 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 but it's, it's still knowledge. It's still, you see, it's deep and it's thorough and it's helpful, you see, all of that. But, but I, just, I, I just want to see him do his thing. That's what I'm pretty much saying. But... Because a person that majors in a particular subject doesn't mean he or she has knowledge of all things. Now, when it comes to the world, that's what I'm trying to make. When it comes to the knowledge, I would say the, you take all of the knowledge that's contained within the world. We're talking about 
comprehending all knowledge. You begin to, uh, to bring it all together. The, the comprehensive knowledge of the world uh, will bring people to the place of looking at the cross as being foolish. <laughs> you see, they would look at the cross as being foolish because you think about it. Death leading to life when there are other contributing factors that ought to lead to life, not death itself. So he says that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing because they don't know if they don't know the message of the cross, if they do not receive redemption as by way of the cross that they're perishing. That's why we can appreciate those who are, are, are wise in Christ as well as in particular subject matters. He said, because they can use their wisdom in a more constructive way. He said, but to those of us who are being, are being saved. <laughs> To those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God because God is taking us from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from glory to glory. Then he goes down to the 25th verse. He says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What men consider to be strength, God considers it as weakness. And what men consider to be weakness, God considers it to be strength. So now, and I'll talk, teach you this later on, so we see a crazy world that's full of discontentment a crazy world that's discontent, that's asking the question, there has to be something more, but do not know what that something more is. What that something more is. But yet, it is our obligation to tell them, but don't just tell them, to show them the message of the cross, <laughs> to display that message so that when they see us, they see Christ. They see a life that's crucified. They see a people that do not belong to themselves. They're no longer their own, but they've given themselves completely over to the Lord. I'm going to quit here. And Father, we thank you so much that you're giving us this kind of message as the beginning of this year and we anticipate how far you're going to take us into understanding this particular message so that we can embrace our purpose the purpose that you intend for our lives Lord forgive us for the times when we, even we let, would lean to our own understanding. Forgive us, Lord, for any misrepresentation we might have uh, displayed in the past.
But Lord, as I said earlier, we set a high standard because we believe that the standard that we must embrace must be perfect. Yet while we're being perfected, we're moving beyond our current state of existence as your word purges us from the residue that exists within us. So in this, we give you the honor, the praise, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.